The Guardian. I want to make a big, open and comprehensive offer to the Liberal Democrats. I want us to work together in tackling our country's big and urgent problems, the debt crisis, our deep social problems and our broken political system. The Conservative Party has always been a party that puts the national interest first. And the best thing, the national interest thing, the best thing for Britain now is a new government that works together in that national interest. And I hope with all my heart that is something that we can achieve. David Cameron, who now leads the largest party in Parliament, but not one with a majority. Gordon Brown came a poor second, but he remains at number 10. Nick Clegg is a potential kingmaker dream scenario for him and the Liberal Democrats, or a complete and utter nightmare. I'm Andrew Ronsley, Associate Editor of The Observer. Welcome to our election results podcast. Britain has its first hung parliament since 1974. And joining me to try to make sense of what we've witnessed over the last 24 hours or so, and try to guess what may happen in the next few days. We have a galactic array of talent from The Guardian, Polly Toynbee, Jonathan Friedland, Martin Kettle, Julian Glover and Michael White. Welcome to you all. Johnny, let's start with you. Where do you think we are? Well, we're in this very curious stage where negotiations are going on in public. It's as if there's a sort of speed dating going on with everyone watching. Um, And uh, it began with Nick Clegg coming out saying, I'm open for offers and I would like to go on my first date with David Cameron, please. Gordon Brown came forward, very indulgent, as if a slightly sort of betrayed husband who said, "Okay, if you want to dance with the other guy for a bit, you can, but come back to me. I'm here waiting with some, uh, you know, dozen red roses and a very nice offer for you. And then Cameron himself came and gave, I thought, an extraordinary press conference simply because it was so public, uh, going through line by line and saying specifically, Here's the, here are the terms, more or less, uh, of a deal, not just minority, of us governing as a minority, although he may come back to that, but here's what I would want for a coalition and here's where we could meet and halfway. I mean, Martin, one thing he seemed to semi-put on the table was even the idea there could be jobs in government for the Liberal Democrats. He hinted at that. Do you think that's at all doable? I think a lot of things are on the table, and that includes jobs in government, and that depends on how the negotiations, which are now going to begin, go over the next uh, hours and probably days, Uh, not just between the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats, not just between Cameron and Clegg, but also between probably the Liberal Democrats and Labour, possibly simultaneously. I mean, if you are Nick Clegg, you want to get the best offer. And uh, so you play both both your opponents off against uh, one another if you're going to exploit this position. I mean, the really striking thing is that all of a sudden, we have been pitched into a real three-party politics in this country in a way which uh, they know in Scotland because they've had that sort of election, and, and they know in Wales, yeah. and they know in Northern Ireland. But at the UK level, for the first time, we're on a really steep learning curve about multi-party politics and multi-party government. And uh, you know, it's uh, seatbelts on because it's going to be a roller coaster ride. Polly, I suppose if you were a Liberal Democrat, the least attractive bit of Cameron's offer was a an all-party hmm. committee of inquiry into electoral reform. The Lib Dems couldn't possibly accept that, could of they? Of course not. Absolutely not. They've been there before with something considerably better 
uh, which was then reneged on when uh, Roy Jenkins was, uh, had his own commission. And uh, they know very well that people write on these things. They're going to need it signed and sealed in blood from whichever party. And they shouldn't make any deal unless it is PR, uh, proper PR, or AV+. Plus. Uh, and uh, a definite referendum. Julian, you know the Conservative Party well. I mean, how happy are the Conservatives, Conservative MPs, going to be with any thought that they might go into coalition with the Lib Dems and PR could even be on the table? Many of them could cope with coalition, furious about PR. Their anger, though, is about David Cameron. They feel he's thrown this election away. It's the contest he could have won. Gordon Brown, total failure, economy in recession, and they didn't do it. Cameron, of course, says... He's got almost 100 seats off Labour. Huge gain, biggest since the 30s. Nonetheless, not very strong moment for Cameron. Cameron's people think they're going to get him into Downing Street. They'll just do it slowly. They'll let the other parties take the blame for not reaching a deal. Let the Lib Dems drift around, look obstructive, just sit it out. They're not going to shout and scream and say, it's our Downing Street, but that's what they're thinking privately. And they'd expect to take Downing Street in the next few days. Michael, I think I'm right in saying a little while ago you were suggesting we would end up with a Conservative minority government. None of us must be held to our forecasts in such unpredictable and sensational times. But do you suspect that's where we will end up nevertheless? Yes, I do think that still. Um, What's interesting to me is that since the election ended and it started getting interesting at last, uh, all the party leaders have raised their game. They're sounding much more resourceful than they were during the campaign, which was pretty basic stuff. And what we're watching at the moment is a sort of don't blame me past the parcel. I thought David Cameron's was a pretty uh, sharp statement, pretty impressively crafted piece of uh, statecraft. Uh, Some of my colleagues here in the Guardian's room in the press gallery at the Commons uh, disagree. Uh, But Gordon Brown has also avoided a mistake. He's avoided doing what Ted Heath did in 1974. In very similar circumstances, Prime Minister had called an election and lost it. The opposition ended up with most seats, but uh, no, almost 305, I think, two actually, Uh, uh, but, but no majority. And instead of Heath as Heath did, he blundered in and tried to sew up the Lib Dems. Brown has let the opposition party, the party with the moral high ground, most votes and most seats, have a try at it so that if it fails, he can come back in. And that's clearly Brown's game plan for staying in Downing Street. I don't think he'll succeed. And I'm not sure if the sovereign debt crisis uh, hovering all over the southern flank of the Eurozone, threatening to engulf us, if it gets worse, all this fine talk about uh, PR and other things may look a bit precious in a few days' time. We'll have to see. Well, indeed, Gordon Brown just about beat David Cameron to the mic earlier this afternoon. He set out his position with a brief statement designed to make himself sound statesmanlike in Downing Street. Let's just hear a flavour of that. On the critical question on the formation of a government which can command a parliamentary majority, I have of course seen the statements of other party leaders. I understand and completely respect the position of Mr Clegg in stating that he wishes first to make contact with the leader of the Conservative Party. As you know, we already have in place mechanisms and facilities that will give the political parties any civil service support that they may need. Mr Cameron and Mr Clegg should clearly be entitled to take as much time as they feel necessary. For my part, I should make clear that I would be willing to see any of the party leaders. Clearly, should the discussions between Mr Cameron and Mr Clegg come to nothing, then I would, of course, be prepared to discuss with Mr Clegg the areas where there may be some measure of agreement between our two parties. 
Johnny Friedland, I suppose part of the problem with a Labour Lib deal is that Nick Clegg said in pretty explicit terms that the party with the most votes and most seats, which is the Conservatives, has the first go at forming a government. And that's why he's covered by saying, like, I, I did go to them first. And uh, and I think that's probably why Gordon Brown, if you like, indulged that, said, you know, he, you've painted yourself into that corner, you've got to talk to them first. Once he's done that, and if he is rebuffed, or he says we just couldn't come to terms, then it is legitimate, even by his own lights, to then uh, look to Labour. He's just got so many dilemmas, though. I mean, he just worries, even if that's true in a kind of legalistic way, the politics are not good, he thinks, of, of, of siding with a prime minister who did only poll around 29%. Uh, of the vote. He doesn't like the the optics of that appearing to prop up uh, a defeated Prime Minister. That doesn't appeal to him. The other thing that worries him is the very thing that makes many others wish and hope he does this and goes into Lib Lab coalition, which is that he worries that those who are not, uh, you know, anoraks on um, uh, proportional representation and electoral reform will think there's somehow something selfish uh, uh, and not about the national interest in this party, the Lib Dems, uh, shouldering aside the party that won the most seats, yeah. Going in for a deal with Labour just so it can get what it wants and has always wanted, which is electoral reform. Clegg worries about that. I mean, uh, Polly, isn't there a, a, a whole host of uh, problems for Nick Clegg doing a deal with Gordon Brown? One, Liberal Democrat voters who voted for change find they end up with the same Prime Minister, just as David Cameron, of course, had repeatedly warned them would happen during the campaign. There's a danger also, it looks like a coalition of losers. Maybe that's not completely fair because the Lib Dems actually did slightly improve their percentage share in the election, but Labour certainly went down and went down a long way. And doing the maths, I'm not sure even Labour and the Liberal Democrats together quite make a parliamentary majority. Does that all suggest to you it can't really happen? Well, they make a majority of the vote, which is pretty powerful stuff. That's true, but into the House Which looks good. Into the House of Commons, probably. There are, you know, there's a Green, there's an Alliance, there's the Plaid, uh, and so on. They, they could do it. And I think that what makes it better for them than Cameron is that actually there are a lot of things in the Lib Dem manifesto that large numbers of people in Labour would welcome with open arms and would give them quite a slab of what they want, whereas what Cameron's offering is the one or two things that happen to slightly overlap, but actually not offering anything very much. So I think you begin to get the, the look of a progressive coalition that pleases both so, parties. So you'd go for it if you a deal could be done, you'd go for it? I think if Cameron were to offer a proper PR referendum, Clegg would have to take it uh, and, and he'd take some other things around the edge. But if he fails to offer that, then I think he has to walk and go to Labour where he'd actually be much happier and both parties would be much happier together. Julian? I wonder if there is a Commons majority on either side for PR. Labour doesn't like it that much either. There are Labour MPs who Charlie do. Wheeler, Charlie Wheeler and all people saying, I've just come round to it Charles today. There are, people, there, are, there are people spinning on that and people changing platforms. He's not elected, of course. Elected MPs Labour backbenchers, people who fought the Lib Dems hard, ask Nick Brown, the current chief whip, does he want PR? Oh, I bet you if Charlie does, Nick Brown does too. Well, but there's Martin. also, I mean, you know, there's, what is it, 250-something Labour MPs elected on 28, 29% of Quite. the vote. Um, it, you know, these are turkeys who are being invited to vote for Christmas. There'll be more Lib Dems and fewer Labour if this uh, okay. went and through. Let me bring Michael in. Another scenario that's been knocked about was that Mr Brown would gracefully fall on his sword and make way for a new Labour leader to facilitate this coalition. Among the many problems with that is, of course, we'd have a Prime Minister who hadn't actually featured in the presidential debates, which might... It's constitutionally it's possible, but you can imagine it being hugely controversial. Do you think that's a scenario that's at all plausible, Michael? Well, I think people like us can sit around chatting about it, but at the end, it's all good fun. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you've addressed the 
chief problem yourself. You'd have one unelected and defeated leader being replaced by one who didn't even feature on the radar, and there's no obvious candidate as to who that should be anyway who's going to change the weather. So I don't think that's a runner. Will Hutton, bless him, said that uh, Nick Clegg should be Prime Minister and Labour should do the decent thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, the fact of the matter is... Well, Labour funnier things have happened. I remember David Lloyd George was Prime Minister when, in fact, the Conservatives are the majority you'd, you'd in the coalition. Have to get up, you'd have to get up very early in the morning to yes. get, so one across, get one across David Lloyd George. I remember George. that one. Um, uh, was that no, Whig coalition Lord, in the there, there was a war. There was a war going on. They were in no, supreme danger and it all ended badly. But, no, Labour's lost this election. It's lost 90-odd seats. That's the bottom line. Actually, the Lib Dems are slightly damaged goods out of this election. I hate to spoil the party. Uh, they thought they were going to get 80 to 100 seats. They've ended up with a few fewer. You may say that's unfair, but those are the uh, rules under which elections have been conducted this, in this country for several centuries. And just because some people don't like it doesn't mean to say it's what Polly would call uh, not an illegal war, but an illegal election. Yeah. Uh, breach of all decency. Unfair. Wow. Well, most voters don't see it that way. They're more worried about their jobs than they're dead right. Well, the most predictable thing, I suppose, is that David Cameron and the Tories would say that Labour has lost the right to govern. Do the voters themselves agree? John Dennis has been out and about in South London trying to find out what people on the streets make of the result. I'm outside the Royal Festival Hall on London's South Bank, scene of Labour's election night victory party in 1997. No champagne corks popping today, but is David Cameron right? Has Labour now lost its right to govern? Yes, but I think it's all a bit of a mess. And I suspect we'll have another election by end of the year, this time next year at the absolute most. So uh, interesting times ahead. If you lose uh, 92 seats, who's going to want to, you know, no one wants Brown in charge. He wasn't actually voted in last time. Um, so how can an unelected Prime Minister carry on in government? Does it matter that the Conservatives haven't quite got the numbers for an absolute majority? That matters hugely, absolutely. If I was David Cameron now, I'd be sitting down and thinking about how I can put together a realistic coalition to take the government forward. I think so, yeah. He's uh, got a very few number of seats. Uh, less people have voted for him, so yes, I think so. Gosh, I, I really don't know. I'm really confused today, actually. I, I'm still sort of hopeful that a Labour-Liberal coalition could work, but it doesn't seem right either if more of the votes have gone to the Conservatives. So, baffled, really. Gordon Brown and the Liberals, they could form a pact, which could be a stable government. I could see Labour and Lib Dems working together, but I think that Gordon Brown and generally the Labour Party really needs to kind of regroup and readdress like what they're really about. Do you think Gordon Brown's now lost his right to govern? No, not yet. Do you think he should form a coalition with the Lib Dems? I think he should, yeah, give it a go. Yeah. What about David Cameron and the Tories though, because they were the largest party. Largest party, but obviously not large enough. After so long out, you'd have thought they'd be able to, given things are going so badly supposedly, you'd have thought they'd be able to come up with a better result than a hung parliament. But I sincerely hope that a more liberal coalition can come into power. It's a bit of a sad day for left-wing people in the UK, I think. But, yeah. but I think constitutionally it seems that he would be a bit desperate to try and cling on to power. Do you think Gordon Brown's lost his right to govern? Yes. I didn't really vote for him in the first place. He just took over from Tony Blair without asking us. I think we need a majority government because of the economic situation, because there's already talks of the pound being worth, le worth less if we don't have a majority government. I'm hoping the Conservatives do have an outright majority and they can get us out of this mess. Do you think Gordon Brown's lost his right to remain Prime Minister? No. It's going to be an interesting time and I look forward to seeing how they manage to negotiate the future 
for the country. Do you think it might be a good thing that the parties actually talk yes, to each other? Absolutely. Yes, yeah, time for that. We never know. I expect to try hanging on with, with the Liberals, but um, I think the Conservatives deserve to be in there now. And I imagine we'll have another election in six months' time and to confirm a majority for the Conservatives. Now, one of the enduring, not to say rather disturbing, images of last night was the queues of people being turned away from polling stations as they closed at 10 o'clock. Voters in Hackney South staged a protest when they were turned away by officials. I, I, I wasn't going to stop I, I, them, I, I, you know what, I take that point. I went to vote um, half past eight. I got in the queue, which was along the street. It took about an hour and a half, and I was sort of 20 people from the front, and then they closed the... Just at 10 o'clock, they closed the polling station and told us we couldn't vote. So we all decided to sit down and wait, really. We just want to vote! We can exercise our democratic right to vote! Well, they started to take the boxes away. I stood in front of the door and said, I don't want these boxes to be taken away until I've had my democratic right to vote. At which point I was seized by the police quite brutally and thrown out. They didn't really know what to do because in other places apparently they've opened them a bit longer. So it's very frustrating. This election campaign, of course, pivoted around the three televised leaders' debates, which appeared to see a huge surge in the popularity of Nick Clegg, though if there was such a surge, most of it had disappeared by the time people went to vote. The Guardian and the Observer both backed the Liberal Democrats, uh, but as it turned out, the party may have slightly increased its share, but it's actually got fewer seats in Parliament than in 2005. Nick Clegg sounded a little deflated earlier today. Now we're in a very fluid political situation with no party enjoying an absolute majority. As I've said before, it seems to me in a situation like this, it's vital that all political parties, all political leaders act in the national interest and not out of narrow party political advantage. I've also said that whichever party gets the most votes and the most seats, if not an absolute majority, has the first right to seek to govern either on its own or by reaching out to other parties. And I stick to that view. It seems this morning that it's the Conservative Party that has more votes and more seats, though not an absolute majority. And that is why I think it is now for the Conservative Party to prove that it is capable of seeking to govern in the national interest. Polly, there was a lot of heady talk that we were completely changing the game of British politics, uh, especially around the great Liberal Democrat surge. First of all, what happened to that surge? Where did it disappear to, do you think? Well, talking to Ben Page of Ipsos Mori, he thinks that, in fact, a large number of people would have voted Lib Dem if they thought the vote wasn't wasted. In fact, they took our advice when we said, don't waste your vote in places where they can't win. They, uh, they so did... it's all the Guardian's fault. No, I just think in general that <laughs> the sorts of people who vote Lib Dem are also probably quite tactically minded. They understand these things and they thought, actually, I would rather keep Brown out or keep Cameron out than waste a vote here. Uh, under a PR system, I think they'd have done rather well this time. Well, I think one of the interesting things about the polls just before the election is that, you know, there are two bits of the polls that didn't quite work out right. The Labour bit was more or less right. The Tory bit was more or less right. The two bits that weren't right were the Lib Dems who were overstated and others who were understated. I'm not sure that it absolutely follows that, therefore, 
a lot of people who said they were going to vote Lib Dem voted for other parties. But on the face of it, that looks like a pretty interesting uh, possibility. Julian? The bit that was wrong was turnout. We had turnout above 70%. It was 65%. The people who didn't vote were the Lib Dems. Um, You're saying there's younger voters registering and they're not actually doing it. People like that. The the, the last Guardian poll before the election was actually pretty accurate on others. So I don't think it's a movement to others. It's just people who told pollsters they were going to come and vote and didn't. The final few polls we did, we had a majority of people on the raw sample we phoned up who actually said they were going to vote Lib Dem. And they never did. Some of them went back to Labour. Some never going to vote. Johnny, does this... I mean, is there a worry for the Liberal Democrats? Their great moment, such as it was... As Pascal's Polly saying, actually, the old classic third-party squeeze actually operated once again, as it so often has in past elections. I think there will be a lot of people depressed about that because they felt they got something wholly new this time, which was the TV debates and that kind of equal billing, and they'll worry that it was a sort of meteoric rise in the literal sense that he shot up and shot right down again, and they won't have that novelty ever again. There'll be another election for it. It will be quite routine to have a Lib Dem leader in it, and I think they'll be thinking if we couldn't succeed here with this leader that sparked this phenomenon, Clegmania a pretty good ride in the media certainly for the first week or two how are we ever going to change this again and the answer is if there was a different electoral system so we're going to come back to that and that may have more urgency in Nick Clegg's mind now because he'll think if we couldn't really make any breakthrough and first pass the post this time we never are we're going to have to do something else now some commentators have suggested that the markets are bound to react badly to the uncertainty of hung parliaments is that true here's the guardian's economics editor larry elliott Election or not, today was always going to be a difficult day for the financial markets, but the general election result has actually made the prospects for the UK economy somewhat more difficult in the months ahead. What's at the back of the market's mind, probably at the front of the market's mind, is what is the incoming government going to do about Britain's record peacetime budget deficit? And all three parties uh, said during the campaign that they had plans for reducing the deficit. Uh, They sketched them out in not very much detail. And now the financial markets, both here and abroad, are looking for a concrete plan to reduce the deficit over the months and years ahead. Now, the difficulty is that past experience has shown that a minority government, which is what we're obviously going to get of either sort, um, tends to have one eye on... Uh, fighting another general election reasonably soon and they will be concerned that they will therefore duck tough decisions on the deficit and that could have quite dangerous ramifications for shares here, for interest rates here uh, and for the pound and that could clearly hobble Britain's recovery which in any case is barely uh, noticeable. We, we have come out of recession, but only just, and the economy is growing at an almost glacial pace. So anything that derailed that over the coming months would be extremely unwelcome. And it has to be said that the uh, hung parliament makes the chance of that more likely rather than less likely. Michael, how much do you think the idea of the city breathing down their necks will be weighing on the politicians as they uh, maybe feel pressure to hurry up these negotiations and conclude a deal or not come to one? 
We do get a bit cross with the city. Only a couple of years ago, these fellows were offering credit cards to babies, and now they're panicking over sovereign debt uh, with some justice in some cases. Ours is a bit scary. I think the larger context uh, makes it frightening. Uh, the FTSE dropped uh, a lot in response to the 1,000-point drop in New York uh, on polling day. Nothing to do with us, but it just means that markets are overshooting now on the jittery side as they were overshooting on the optimistic, uh, uh, foolish side two or three years ago. Uh, and it adds uh, complexity to uh, the calculations they all make. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, you know, the economic crisis takes precedence over everything. We are not out of the wood. It's really quite scary what might happen uh, as a result of the, uh, uh, the shambles, which... Uh, 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 Brussels and Berlin and Athens has made of the, the, the Greek debt problem and how, like dominoes, uh, it might spread are really quite frightening and, um, again, reinforces the need for stable government. I suspect, I, I mean, it reinforces my own undisguised prejudice that we're going to end up with the Tories probably on their own. Uh, but it's interesting, this manoeuvre... Everybody's being smart. That encourages me a bit, too. All three party leaders have behaved intelligently today. Uh, I'm always cheered up by intelligence. Okay, Michael seems to have made his uh, prediction. Let, let me do this horrible thing to you, Martin. This time next week, who do you expect to be Prime Minister? David Cameron. Johnny? With no scientific evidence at all, I, my gut still, still tells me it's David Cameron, but I can't back it up. Polly? I think Gordon Brown's in with a chance, and it's one of the most astonishing Lazarus acts you've ever seen. I agree with that. David Cameron. Okay, there we are. Have a balance, but not, and not a unanimous in my waters, David Cameron. But uh, it's uh, nobody's absolutely certain about it, and it's certainly not a unanimous vote. There's still quite a lot to play for. Uh, thank you, all of my guests: Michael White, Martin Kettle, Johnny Friedman, Polly Toynbee, and Julian Glover. That's all we've time for in this special election results podcast. The producers were Phil Maynard and Francesca Panetta. I'm Andrew Rawnsley. Thanks for listening.